Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning, church. We will be in John chapter 17 today, so we're picking up where we uh, left off a couple weeks ago. Uh, Pastor John came up and shared from chapter 16 and spoke of the Holy Spirit and how it assists us in our, in our ministry that we've been given. And I'm going to read for you here uh, chapter 17. We're going to be focusing on verses 6 through 19. It says... I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they may, they also may be sanctified by the truth. So, as, as mentioned, we're resuming here in the upper room, in this, this place with Jesus and the disciples after the Last Supper, has, the, the supper aspect of it is completed, and he's having these conversations with them. He's sharing with them his love and, and the peace and the Holy Spirit that is to come. When I preached a few weeks ago, last time I was up here before you, I spoke of the confusion and the fear that they were experiencing when hearing the person they had turned their lives upside down to follow was leaving them. Here we have a slightly different tune since that time. Again, these words of comfort that Jesus has tried to offer them. And then uh, between where Pastor John finished off last week and where we start this week, it, they, they acknowledge that we understand. You're speaking clearly now. We know who you are. We know what you came to do. But as we'll see in their actions, they might not have fully grasped what they're claiming to have grasped here. Before we, we get into verses 6 through 19 here, there's actually a, a section right before it, verses 1 through 5, where we start this, this prayer before, before the garden, before the, 
the, the next steps of, of Jesus' sacrifice. This is, this is called the high priestly prayer often. Um, Jesus is actually serving as our high priest. In the Old Testament, uh, it, it was the, the high priest that went into the deepest layer of the temple or the tent and the Holy of Holies and, and interceded on behalf of the Jewish people. But we, we have uh, an example in, in Psalm 41.9 it were, it, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself there. Yeah, we, we have an ex- example there that it, it explains. I put up the wrong passage. <laughs> Hebrews 4.14, we're jumping ahead, uh, where it says there, jump where I'm supposed to be here. Hebrews 4.14, where it explains that we have a high priest that goes before us. It says, therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So just as the high priest in the Old Testament would go forward and go through that curtain and bring the prayer of the people to God, we have a high priest in Jesus. And this is what he's doing in this passage here. He's going not through a curtain, but through heaven itself to face God face to face, to intercede on our behalf and say, these are my people and I'm bringing this prayer before you. And he does that for us continually. So this is the, 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 the prayer that we have here, this high priestly prayer. It starts, we'll start here in verse 6, but before verse 6 it says that he was praying for his glorification and his unification with the Father to be complete and for the eternal life of his disciples. But we're going to be focusing on uh, two priestly petitions that he makes that we'll, we'll get to here in a moment. But just to set the stage here a little bit, the, this is the longest prayer that we've ever, that we get to see in Scripture between Jesus and the Father. And this is a rare occurrence that the disciples get to witness this relationship. Uh, this is... Uh, a very key point. This is a very climatic moment for the disciples. This is an excitement. It, it says, actually, before we even start in verse 6, that Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. If you're paying attention to Scripture, if, if you are a disciple experiencing Jesus' ministry, this should be a red alert. This should be alarms going off. How many times in Jesus' scripture, in his, in, in his ministry, did he come to a situation where he healed someone, where he uh, spoke boldly about something, or where he presented himself before a large group of people, and that just as someone is coming to confront him or, or coming to seek him out, he says, my time has not yet come, and he's gone. He moves on to the next thing. He just to pop up later and continue his ministry. Here we have the words, my hour has come. This should be exciting. This, if you're a disciple, this should give you goosebumps in that moment. You should be just pumped up like, oh, this is it. But I'm afraid, just like for us sometimes, the disciples missed this moment in a way. We actually have a depiction of this in, in art 
form. Uh, very familiar, I'm sure most of you are, with Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. By no means am I trying to substitute scripture with art here, but it's such a beautiful depiction. I, I know you can't see the details that I'll be describing here, but I believe he brought out the emotion and the intensity of the situation and the distraction of the disciples so well. Here's Jesus seeming, speaking these same words that we see here in this, this part of John. And what is happening? Their disciples having their own conversations off to the one side. You have, you have Peter, you, you, you can't see the detail, but he's grasping a knife. That same knife that he will use to cut off the ear of the soldier because he doesn't quite get what Jesus needs to do. You see Judas grasping a bag of money there right beside him. That, that same money he is going to be using to surrender Jesus over to the Jewish leaders. You see on the opposite side of him, Thomas holding up that infamous finger, that finger that he claims that until he puts it into the side of Jesus, he will never believe that he rose from the grave. These disciples have their own thoughts, their own opinions, their own agendas going on, and, and, and they're struggling with doubt and distraction. What I ask for you today is not to, not to let doubt and distraction lead you away from the message that Jesus has for us, this, this beautiful truth that he shares in this prayer. As I mentioned, we've, we, there's this, this chapter has as many as you can consider seven petitions that Jesus offers here. We're going to focus in on two of them, two uh, high priestly petitions that we're going to, to look at. The first one is our petition for protection. And that uh, starts in verse, in verse 9. Before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about verse 6 through eight. We see here, once the, the disciples are, are sitting there and Jesus is, is starting this prayer and they're, they're distracted and they're, they're considering other alternatives of what he actually means, uh, these, these disciples are falling short of, of what Jesus is, is really expecting for his followers. It says in verse 6, it says, they were, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This, that picture we showed, that does not look like a group of men who had kept his word. But with that being the case, who, who, are, who are we to judge? It's that same grace that he offers them in that moment that we get to experience through his sacrificial blood. What a gift we have in a merciful Savior that even though we are not always keeping his word, he still sees us and shows us favor. As I mentioned, Peter and Judas and Thomas and the side conversations and these disciples, they had, they had indifference going into the Garden of Gethsemane. They, they fell asleep while Jesus was praying his final prayers. They ran in fear when Jesus was put on trial and they denied him face to face with people asking him questions. We experience these same kind of difficulties and emotions in our own lives. But there's a beautiful thing about the grace of God. He says here, 
in that first verse we're covering, verse 6, it says, you gave them to me. It's, it's pretty unanimous looking through this with biblical scholars view this, this, this use of this word as he's talking about his disciples as a gift. He believes they are a gift from God, and he used them faithfully. Now, speaking of gifts, I have both received and given some terrible gifts in my time. I'm not going to talk about the ones I've received because I understand this is live streamed and anyone could pop in on this from my life and, and view this. So thank you for your generosity. Um, but I can share a quick story of one I've given very, very recently. My wife and I both had birthdays in the last two weeks. And as if I forgot that her birthday lands in the middle of VBS, I was unprepared the entire week of VBS, week before VBS, there's no time to run to a store and pick something up or, or really think through what you, you got you to gotta be ahead of that. I was not. She did receive a card on her birthday. And in that card, it, it read something to the effect of, thank you for always putting up with how many steps I get in a day. I tell her, like, hey, I got this many steps today. Um, it has finally paid you dividends. See, my, my workplace has a health initiative where you, you take a certain amount of steps, you get a certain amount of points, you can turn it into dollars for, for a gift card. So uh, I, I didn't give her a gift perfectly wrapped for her birthday. I didn't give her a gift card to her favorite store saying, go here and buy this. I did walk over 15,000 steps a day that week, with it being VBS, though. So she got a post-it note with a list of stores and a dollar amount that said, Here is your gift that I have prepared for you today. Not my most thoughtful moment, but I've never gifted anyone 12 grown men who have their own opinions about how I should they, you should do your ministry or, or have their own grievances and their own doubts. But Jesus saw these men as a gift. And that is a, that is a beautiful thing, that even in our doubts and our fears and our indifference, he sees us as a gift from God. Specifically, these disciples, he recognized God had given them to him. He starts here with our first petition, our petition of protection In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. So he's specifying that this prayer we have here is specifically for the disciples. And he's praying, he's already mentioned the unity and and the the unity he has with the Father and the glorification that they will receive from the disciples and, and that's, a, that's an emphasis we have throughout Scripture. Galatians 3 tells us the Jews and, and Greeks and Gentiles together, unified for the gospel and the glorification of God. So that's an important thing that, that we are called to and that will continue to come, come up in Scripture. Um, but a, a note here about this, this prayer for, for protection in verse 11, it says... I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. 
So he's, he's saying, like, I'm, I'm leaving them, and that's why they need protection. This is going to be a hostile environment once I'm out of here, and I can't, I'm not physically there to be with them anymore. But did you notice the past tense there? He's not saying, I will not be. He's already sent Judas away. So in his mind, this has already taken place. Once he sent Judas to go betray him, once he dismissed him from the table, this was not getting, there was no stopping this. Jesus was going to face his crucifixion and the ultimate sacrifice and receive ultimately the glorification that he's, he mentions here. But as we continue here, we see the claim of, in, in verse 12, it says, I guarded them and not one of them is lost. So in, in, our, in our prayer for protection, where we're supposed to receive, you know, the disciples should receive comfort of Jesus is praying that they are protected. He's claiming that none of them are lost. But out of those 12 men, there is one especially distracted, Judas. How can we claim Judas was not lost? As it continues, it says, except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus had his responsibility on earth. He had his ministry. He was supposed to go to the cross and die for our sins and raise again. But how does he get there without Judas surrendering him over to the Jewish leaders? Judas played his part. And if we look, this is where I was Jumped ahead of myself earlier, wrong reference. It's Psalm 41, 9. It says, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. It shows us here that, we under, that this was understood, that this had to take place. At that table, Jesus offered specifically Judas the bread before he sent him off to betray him. Judas was not a loss. Jesus, Judas was a fulfillment of prophecy. What we can take from this, though, is even the most wicked, unjust, evil action by the most despicable of people is not outside the realm of use by God to show the most beautiful example of love to each of us. God used this moment of his betrayal to die for us and offer us salvation. And that is a beautiful thing. And that should be a reminder when we're facing difficulties because we're still here in this earth. There is still an evil one. There is still evil all around us. There's still pain and loss. These things don't sound like things that people should be experiencing if they are protected, right? And especially in verse 13, it says... So that they may have my joy completed in them. How are we supposed to be experiencing joy when we're facing hostility and there's still loss and there's still destruction and there's still disasters and still disease and still violence all around us? And with joy, we must remember that God sees us here 
And I want you to stay in this, this passage as we, as we continue these next two verses. There's so many different places people have looked for answers to why is there pain in this world? Why is there evil? Why does God allow this? Why do we experience this heartbreak, this, this difficulty? But we must always remember, return back to Scripture when you ask those type of questions. Verse 15 tells us right here, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, don't remove them from all of this evil, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why? Is because this world was not meant to be the way that it is. This world is continually groaning under the weight of its brokenness. Brokenness that did not exist when it was created. This world was created to be in perfect harmony with both its creator and its inhabitants. But sin entered the world. Satan deceived the very first two people who stepped foot on this world. And since then, there's a separation between us and God, a separation that provides opportunity for evil and pain and disease and destruction and disasters that helps, that causes us to not feel protected. But in this prayer of protection, what he is trying to explain here, or what he is, what he is claiming here, is that while we are in this moment, we must remember we are physically here, but we are, this is not our home. We have a perfect place where we can be in perfect harmony with Jesus in heaven one day. And that is what we are meant for. We are not meant for the, sh- the sin and the shame that we experience here. But we are here. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we, how do we move forward with that? How can we have the eternal confidence of Jesus' protection while we're here? We, we, we don't need to worry that nothing can take away the joy and assurance that God offers us if we have it rooted in the truth. That's where we're getting to in our, our, next, our next point here in just a moment. There's a truth in God's word that provides us hope. The disciples, as they moved on in Jesus, after Jesus has, has gone from them, they all experienced persecution and, and oppression and violence. But if you read their accounts of them and the early church leaders, you can see there was still peace. There was still joy. And that peace and that joy can only come from surrender. There is no amount of darkness. There is no amount of shame. There is no amount of pain that we cannot turn around and lay before Jesus and ask him to take it away. It might not physically be immediately here in front of us, but Jesus asks us not to work harder, not to... to come up with our own ways, but to surrender. The key to peace and joy and protection is simply our surrender. 
I actually have a quote that showed up in my inbox this morning. My father-in-law likes to uh, send out to his, his children, his, his um, children's uh, spouses and, and everyone, these, uh, these quotes. He started off with a lot of quotes from Spurgeon and, and Scripture to go with them. And now he started, off, he started into quotes from Corey Ten Boom who protected so many Jewish people during the Holocaust. And this quote here says, As a camel kneels before his master to have him remove his burden at the end of the day, so kneel each night and let the master take your burden. What wings are to a bird and sails to a ship is prayer to a soul. The burden of pain and and difficulty and shame, and, and, and the weight of all of the evil that's around us. Jesus wants us to come and just kneel before him. Just let him remove those from us. If we go to sleep at night and we have that weight on us and we don't take the time to just surrender to God, we're going to wake up with that same weight on us. If we go from moment to moment and don't recognize through prayer that Jesus promises to protect us, then we're just going to continue bearing a weight that's not ours to bear. He has already removed the guilt of shame and provided us protection through his sacrifice. We just need to surrender and accept that. We do have a second petition, a petition for sanctification, starting in verse 17. It says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. It's God's word that we have that sets us apart to sanctify. To be sanctified, sanctification means to be set apart. So we've already talked, we're not of this world. We're to be set apart of this world through sanctification. Sanctification, uh, typically in, in Scripture, is referring to holiness. Set apart for holiness. How are we set apart? By truth. God's word is truth, and what a gift it is to have God's word. We, we are not only sanctified, sanctified by truth, but we are sanctified, as it says, for a mission. It says, as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. So we are set apart and by truth, and we are set apart for the mission of God. The disciples had a responsibility to carry on. If we were to read 20 through 26 here, it tells us how everything that we've been, that they have been promised here, and that they have been given the responsibility here, is also applies to everyone else that will experience that same salvation. We have a, a responsibility to holiness. So in Leviticus and other parts of Scripture, it says whole, we are to be holy as God is holy. That is just a, another way of saying we're supposed to be separate from this world and the sin that is in it, and we are to be dedicated to God. So we are to rise up like the disciples. I, I know I mentioned earlier that they weren't, kind of, weren't really all with it at that moment. And that didn't stay the case. We see in Acts, we see in elsewhere, that they did carry out the ministry of Jesus. He did have to show himself as a resurrected person to them for them to get it but they they got it 
And again, who, who are we to judge? We have Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit to help us dis- discern Scripture. This is what empowers us to feel protected and to go on and carry on the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. Jesus has set us apart for his work, and he has also set us apart for his glory. One day we can experience that glory in heaven. As we, as we close here, we actually can go back to the beginning of this prayer. In verse 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is what he wants from them. He wants for them to know him. We must understand that we have a need. We, that's pretty clear. It's all around us, the, the evil of this world. But that need can only be met through recognizing our brokenness and surrendering that to Jesus. The sacrifice that he made, the death he experienced, the resurrection that proved salvation for all of us, the the availability we have to the throne through our high priest. Those petitions that he makes in this prayer should provide us with confidence that we are protected from the world, the evil of this world. It cannot affect our eternal salvation and that it provides us sanctification to being set apart by God's word. These should fuel us as we go forward into the darkness and the evil that surrounds us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We do not need to fear. We have protection. We have sanctification. These are available for us. So the call here is for us to come and surrender our fear and our doubt. Come seek truth and sanctification. Come commit to sharing God's love for others. For we are not of this world. We have a salvation that separates us from this world. So as we pray here, as we worship here, we have an opportunity to respond, whether it's physically here or in the prayer room or in your own seat. God is offering us so much more than what we are fighting for if we just surrender to him. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.